Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good protection, aired out. Valdez Scantling dropped it. Airs it out, downfield, incomplete. And the Eagles take over. I mean, I have no regret. I mean, they triple team Travis, so I went to the guy that was that one downfield and Marquez won. He just didn't, didn't come away with the ball. I mean, I could probably throw a little bit shorter. He was that open, so... Uh, yeah, you just got to continue to, to to try to get better and better. Defense is keeping us in games, and if we can find a way to just get a little bit better as an offense, we're going to win a lot of these games. I actively try to avoid talking Chiefs on the air here in St. Louis. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We can't avoid it today. The Chiefs were the national headline last night. We're watching ESPN here in the studio. And their big question of the day right now on first take, do you credit the Eagles or blame the Chiefs? I think we should sway the narrative and not talk stupid Chiefs and talk Eagles. I understand. That's what we should be focusing on today. Instead, we're going to focus on the losing team today. Credit to the Eagles, man. They deserve that win. They earned it with the way that they played in the second half. The Chiefs did not earn anything other than a massive L next to their name. Alex, the team had a massive issue in the offseason. We all saw it. We were all wondering what they were going to do about it. We talked about DeAndre Hopkins. Do they go get him? They needed a wide receiver. Because last season, they found a way to get through the year with Juju Smith-Schuster as the clear-cut number one wide receiver. Well, he's gone now. Okay, you got Kadarius Toney. I can kind of see what you're trying to do there. You're going to let McCole Hardman walk. You draft Rasheed Rice. Maybe Sky Moore takes the next step. Well, first six, seven weeks of the year this year was very clear. That's not going to happen. So what do you do? Well, we got to make a trade, right? Absolutely, Alex. That is exactly what we're going to do. Who'd you trade for? We're going to bring back McCole Hardman because Uh, that worked so well the last time around. Good. The team has a fundamental flaw. They do not have receivers that catch the football. And it turns out that's part of the job description when you are a wide receiver. Last night, Justin Watson. Yes, that Justin Watson was targeted 11 times by the Chiefs. On those 11 targets, he caught five for 53. This is not Justin Watson's fault. This is like asking Steven Piscotti to be your cleanup hitter. It doesn't end well for anybody. I remember being at Mizzou and it was the Kim Anderson era and Ryan Rosberg was their best player. Man, ain't nothing wrong with Ryan Rosberg being the eighth best player on a okay college basketball team. If he's your best player, though, there are some serious flaws within your roster construction. That's what's happening right now with the Chiefs. They've got a roster issue, and I genuinely don't know how they overcome it, Alex. I think they personally have a quarterback issue. Did you not hear Patrick (laughs) Mahomes just say that he could have thrown that a little wider and it would have been in the hands of Valdez Scantling? Enough. Overlook the fact that the guy bobbled it and he had both hands on the ball. It was the quarterback's fault that they should be frustrated with this loss today. Look, this is... I, I was... I wasn't frustrated in the offseason when they didn't make a move for a wide receiver because I can't doubt the Kansas City Chiefs because Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes make magic with nothing. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster as a number one. We're seeing how that works with an incapable quarterback and Mac Jones. It's not possible. So I figured Sky Moore and all of the weapons that they had, quotations, weapons, 
they, they could have gotten something out of it. And you still have Travis Kelsey and Isaiah Pacheco and thinking, all right, this team's going to be fun. When I was very frustrated was at the trade deadline. When you looked around and said, okay, we clearly are the best team in the AFC. Clearly. Because Miami's got their issues defensively. Our defense is great. And at the time, the Ravens were up and down, up and down. Their you never knew what to expect out of them. way too inconsistent. And the Bengals and Bills, they looked like shells of themselves. You were clear. I know what you were about to say there, but yeah, I like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bradford, get ready with that dump button. I don't know where I'm going to go these days. Here we go. What I hated was you knew you were better than everybody. And there were weapons available. And you said, now we're good. Or we'll bring back McCole Hardman. That's not a mindset of a championship team. That's a mindset of, yeah, we'll figure out. Maybe they feel like the AFC is just crap and they can wiggle their way through it. But, I mean, last night was a perfect example. Like, you found a way to outplay Philadelphia's defense, but your wide receivers let you down because nobody could hold on to the ball. The craziest part, man, they played well in the first half. The offense looked fine. You put up 17 points in the first half, and I was like, all right. They went into the bye week. They fixed some things. Now, you had that interception, but otherwise, they were moving the ball consistently. I mean, the first drive, not great. Second drive, 10 plays, 80 yards, touchdown. Then you have the the interception drive where you get into the red zone, throw the pick. Nine plays, 56 yards, throw the pick. Seven plays, 45-yard touchdown. Then that quick drive where they end up getting the field goal out of it right before the half. All right, cool. Things are starting to move. You're going up against a good defense. You're finding ways uh, to, to win here. And then in the second half, they just looked, I mean, incapable of moving the ball with any sort of consistency. You get the fumble in the red zone with Travis Kelsey there. Uh, you end up punting from the plus 40-yard line. And I, the craziest part, I thought it was the right call in that spot, Alex. I think they need to be aggressive. But, man, your offense wasn't getting four yards consistently. So how can I ask you to do it here when your defense has been amazing? And then it's terrible punt. Eagles end up going down the field. They drive. They score on the next drive. They take the lead, and then the Chiefs are getting the ball back, and I'm thinking to myself, they can't score. There's no way they're going to be able to go down. And then they had the play. The touchdown was there. It was there. Yeah. They had the perfect throw. You cannot put it in Marquez Valdez-Gantling's hands any better. Because like, threw it a little softer. Soft. Stop it. <laughs> you couldn't throw that any better. And then on the 4th and 25, it's like, okay, well, game's clearly over here. He threw a dime. <laughs> Right to Justin Watson, hit him in the hands, and he drops it. I just, here's the craziest part of it all. I still think they're winning the Super Bowl. Okay, now you're, now your chief fandom's coming out. Did you see the defense last night? Yeah. The defense is going to buy them time. It bought them time in the game to figure things out offensively. They they never did, and a big part of that is the, the turnovers. They are turning the ball over way too much this year, man. But look at the upcoming schedule. The Raiders... The Packers, the Patriots, the Raiders, the Bengals with some nonsensical quarterback in there, and then the Chargers who stink, let's be honest. That's six of their remaining seven games. The one game that really is remaining on the schedule that's against a legitimate threat is the Bills, and we know that the Bills on any given night could end up going out there and scoring 14 points as well. So I think the Chiefs are going to be fine in the rest of the regular season. And what we're really talking about here is, okay, what does this mean for the playoffs? Because we all think they're going to get there, right? We can agree with that. The Chiefs are going to make the postseason this year. Yeah, yeah, mostly because the AFC sucks. I totally agree. 
So when you look at what it means for them in the playoffs, one part of this story that's important is they're a half game back now of the Ravens for the number one seed. Getting the bye for this team really matters. Yeah. You don't want to play an extra game. You want your opportunity to get Travis Kelsey healthy before the uh, end of the season. You want that bye week. Just get rid of a 50-50 proposition. So that's important. The other thing going into the playoffs is do you trust this offense to score? And Alex, I really don't right now, but I trust... Travis Kelsey, I trust Patrick Mahomes. I trust Andy Reid. And this defense might be top three in the NFL right now. So it's going to look a lot different than it has in previous years. But I think their formula is not all that dissimilar to what the Bengals formula was when they went to the Super Bowl a few years ago. That was a flawed Chiefs team that they went up against that they beat in the playoffs. And everybody the Chiefs are going to play against this year in the AFC's postseason is also flawed, much like them. I just... I'm not as certain as you are that they get to the Super Bowl. I, I know they've got the quarterback, they've got the tight end, they've got the head coach, and frankly, those are the three pieces that you need to get to a Super Bowl. But man, there have been so many games this season, it has felt like it doesn't matter what the Chiefs do or Mahomes or Kelsey does. The only way they're winning games is if Travis Kelsey's putting up 300 yards and putting up five touchdowns. And I just, I like their defense, but I don't think their defense is as good as other teams' defenses that can oh, lead them to the Super really? Bowl. Yeah. Like who? Ah, I, I don't think, I like, if you want to say the Ravens, we can talk about it. I think the Chiefs have a more complete unit defensively. I, I think the Chiefs and the Cowboys, to me, have the two most dominant defenses in the NFL right now. But is their defense good enough to stop Miami? Yeah. I mean, they just did. Two weeks ago. Did they? Yeah. They scored almost as many points as the Dolphins did. The Chiefs' defense—they allowed 14 points in that oh, game. Oh, I miss—I forgot that one. That was the one that was over in Germany. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's the Ravens, and I, I think it's the Ravens that you got to worry about. And I, and I think that's fair. Like the Ravens are a good team, but we've talked about it all year. The Ravens' offense is very How similar. inconsistent yeah. is the Ravens' offense? And, and with now no they're Mark without Andrews. Mark Andrews. Mm-hmm. So, like, we can go up and down the AFC. Okay, so the Ravens are the problem. Odell Beckham. Zay Flowers, that's the offense that's going to put up 30 against the Chiefs? Okay, I mean, maybe. Well, better than Kansas The Jaguars, <laughs> the offense that I just watched go up against the 49ers two weeks ago and put up three points in that game. They look like they don't trust their play caller right now. The Dolphins, who I just watched, put up 14 points against the Chiefs, and the Chiefs beat them head-to-head. The Browns with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, that's the team I'm supposed to be concerned about. The Steelers, who fired their offensive coordinator today. Oh, the Bills. The Bills are the team. They just fired their OC. Where's your guy, the Alex? AFC Bring, is him a disaster, Bring him in. Bring him into the combo. This, this conference is a disaster. CJ. An absolute disaster. Yeah, CJ. Uh, unfortunately for CJ, after throwing three interceptions, I can't back that horse Dude, of beating another team's defense. The craziest defense. thing, I trust the Texans offense more than any of these other offenses that I just mentioned. Three weeks ago, three weeks ago, they struggled to beat the Carolina Panthers. So, like... I don't so, know, man. So this may- is the most recent thing that we saw where the Chiefs struggled on national television, so I get it. And their offense has not been good this year. It's still top 10 in the league, and their defense might be top one. And might be the best. And that's despite having, statistically speaking, about the worst offense you can have in the second halves of games. That's Literally. the thing. And something else that hasn't been noted that much, even last night, how many times are you going to go through a clutch contest and have that offensive line continue to produce those self-inflicted wounds? A lot of drives last night were thwarted five second-half penalties, most of which were assigned to that O-line. And here's the thing, BK, what I struggle with here on a team that just has a dearth of vertical weapons. We know that. Why is Rasheed Rice essentially still on a pitch count of sorts? It doesn't make any sense. 
Because they don't doesn't. trust him. They don't trust him. Like, this is the truth. is they, they don't trust any of these wide receivers. What they did yesterday is they decided the guy that we trust is Justin Watson. He's our guy. And what we saw was that you can't trust him either. None of these guys are trustworthy. They they don't think Rasheed Rice is going to be in the right place at the right time. They've got him running like three routes right now. There's screens, it's slants, it's uh, go routes, it's posts. Like that's, that's all they're going to do with him right now because this offense is super complicated and they're going to take their time with getting him completely invested in it. So whatever. It is what it is. I'm going to take the L on that one. I think he's the most talented wide receiver, but if you don't know the entire game plan, then it is what it, what, what are we supposed to say here? I think the narrative shifts when you talk about this team getting to a Super Bowl and winning a Super Bowl. Because I don't know if they can win a Super Bowl. I think if you get into a one-game sample size against anybody, anybody that is in that game can win it. Maybe. I, I know that sounds like a any given Sunday argument. I just If you give Andy Reid two weeks to game plan for one game... And they're going up against the Eagles, who we just saw. They're, I think they're the best team in the NFC right now. If the Chiefs, if it, ifs and buts are candy and nuts, you know, um, if the Chiefs don't fumble the football and if they literally just catch the ball on the last drive, they win. So they can beat the Eagles. They can beat the Lions. Again, similar storyline. They literally just caught the football a couple of times. They beat the Lions without Travis Kelsey or Chris Jones in week one. So, And I think those are probably the two best teams in the NFC. I'm not trying to come on here and sound like a homer. I promise you. This is my honest-to-God opinion, whether I like have the fan, hand, uh, fan hat on or off. I, I just think the the AFC especially is so fundamentally flawed this year and there are so many injuries with quarterbacks that I don't think we can have the same conversation about the Jaguars. And if you're a Jaguars fan today, you have every reason to believe they can go to the Super Bowl. Ravens fans, every reason to believe they can go to the Super Bowl. If you're a Bills fan today, you should be thinking to yourself, man, my team stinks and they might go to the Super Bowl. Like there's seven teams in the AFC that should feel like they are alive and if you just put them all into a hat and you had to say, which one of these teams do you trust the most? I'm going to take the team that has the dominant defense and Patrick Mahomes at quarterback and just trust that they're going to figure it out. That's where I personally lie with the AFC right now. By the same token, can and should this team rely more on Pacheco down the stretch? I understand he had 19 carries last night, but it seems as I mean, if more entire, to well, entirely too many circumstances this year, though, BK, in the second half and the fourth quarter specifically, he's not getting those totes. He gets two carries last night. What's wrong with actually leaning on him? The I mean, run, the I, run blocking's good. Running backs had more than 19 carries this week in the NFL. I, I would bet you like less than five. So I don't I, disagree. I I didn't think their running game was a problem at all last night. I think they leaned on it in a in a really good way. They had 30 uh, carries on the ground last night for 170 yards. The running game was fine. At some point, you just need receivers to catch the football. You're going to throw it. You've got Patrick Mahomes. You should be throwing it a lot. Uh, it didn't work last night. It didn't work. So uh, Chiefs have fundamental flaws. They are 7-3 and three. as of today. They would not have the bye in the AFC. I still think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. And I know that sounds crazy coming off of that game last night. I get it. I I'm right there with you guys. I think they're as flawed as you do. I just look around the rest of the AFC and I see the same thing for all these teams. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford. He's the Blues insider for The Athletic. But next, so hold on. The Cardinals are actually in on Yamamoto. If this was some national reporter that was spewing this nonsense, I'd be like, okay, cool. Yeah, sure they are. It's Derek Gould who doesn't traffic and hope and is a well reputable reporter here in St. Louis. We'll let you hear what he had to say yesterday about this and why maybe we're starting to believe it a little bit. We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN.
All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Uh, and so Yamamoto, though, a guy that in Japan over seven seasons, a 1.72 ERA. He is a strike throwing machine. He is a strikeout swing and miss pitcher. He is a workhorse. He is at times unhittable. He has never given up double-digit home runs in a single season, and he's 25 years old. He's a beast. That was Steve Phillips, former Major League Baseball general manager on MLB Network Radio yesterday, talking about Yamamoto, who has officially been posted now by his team. He is officially a free agent for all teams to consider. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, I've kind of written off the notion of the Cardinals signing Yamamoto for, you know, months at this point. Same. It, the idea of them giving out a 10-year contract, forget the money, a 10-year contract to anybody, it's just hard for me to believe because I've seen this before and I have advocated for them to go out there and sign a guy like a Bright, like Bryce Harper, for mm-hmm. example, and they were just never even interested in, in doing something like that. And that's a position player who's 26 years old, who is a generational talent, and they've seen him have success already against major league hitters. And they're like, ah, eh, no, we're good. We're, we're going to run with Tyler O'Neill. Okay, cool. I'm going to put that in the back of my brain. Now I know. I just don't have to talk about that anymore in the future. Well, Yamamoto is a 25-year-old pitcher that's coming over from Japan. And according to Derek Gould, he is, quote, open to exploring the geography of his opportunities. And he is not leaning towards one coast or another. Again, that is according to Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Gould then adds, a deal worth more than $175 million guaranteed to Yamamoto would also yield a posting fee of at least $28 million. With Monday's official posting, teams have until 4 p.m. on January 4th to finalize a deal with Yamamoto, end quote. Gold is reporting that the Cardinals have legitimate interest in Yamamoto. Now, he is not saying they will sign him. He is not saying they will match the asking price, but... There's a connection there. They have done their homework on him. They have, obviously, Lars Newtbar, who's working back channels there. And it sounds like they're at least in talks about, hey, should this be something that we not only explore, but really dive into the deep end for? Twofold question for you, Alex. One, do you believe this is the time where they will actually go that far, extend themselves to a eight-plus-year contract, and two... Do you think they should? So to answer the first question, no, I don't believe it because it's the Cardinals. And we have sat here looking like we're in trigonometry class trying to figure out the last time the Cardinals gave that long of a contract out to a free agent. And I'm not sure they ever have. So, no, I don't believe that they will. Should they? I absolutely believe they should because this is the one time 
that a free agent and the stars align with what you're trying to do long-term and short-term. Short-term, you're trying to make a competitive team that could go for a World Series this year. You've got Arenado and Goldschmidt. You've got the offense. You don't want to get rid of the offense. You want to sign a pitcher to make your pitching staff better. Well, there's a 25-year-old Yamamoto who looks like he could be the next best thing pitching-wise in Shohei Otani. Long-term, this is even better for you. Because you're getting a guy who's 25 years old, and yeah, you're giving him eight years probably. That means he's going to be 33 years old. That's better than most guys you sign as free agents. Sonny Gray is right now. 33 years old, I would imagine. He's going to be 34 next year. I know that BK game. But you're, you're, you're signing it long term and paying a lot of money, and that is going to go into the consideration of what your team looks like two, three, four, five years from now. So this is providing you time to develop, hence and Roby, and Grisefo, and McGreevy. And it's going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to cost you a lot of commitment. But there never has been, since Shohei Otani, a pitcher with this much hype that you have an inside track on. And to sit back and say, not too rich for our blood, it's just malpractice of running a successful organization. Because at some point, you're going to have to spend $20, $25 million a year on a starting pitcher. And I'd much rather do it for a 25-year-old who's got this much upside than a 33-year-old or a 31-year-old who's on the back end of his career. Does it change your answer if I say that this is the only other addition they make to their rotation? It Does it change my answer? Like, no. Do, do you I, think I, that they the should. Cardinal, they, I still think they should. So if I told you you got two options, two scenarios here. Option number one, the Cardinals add Yamamoto but do not add anything else to their rotation this offseason. Add a little bit to the bullpen, but... Set that aside for a second. Just Yamamoto, Sonny Gray, and let's call it Eduardo Rodriguez. Which of those two scenarios do you prefer for the remainder of this offseason? I, I would go the Yamamoto route because Sonny Gray, you're going to get for three years. Rodriguez, you're probably talking about three to four years, and you don't know what those are going to look at. What if it's Sonny Gray and Tyler Glass now? Upside. I think I would still go Yamamoto here because I've got a 25-year-old guy for eight years. I love the idea of Glass now, but we know that you're not going to get the innings from him. And he's done after this year, which means you might be in the same spot next season of looking for an ace for your staff, where guess what? Next season, you've got an ace already under contract. You're good if he lives up to this hype, but... I can't play the what-if game here. I can only go off of what I'm being told of this Yamamoto. So that's something that I wanted to add on to. I I don't know if Yamamoto is going to be excellent in Major League Baseball. Here's the thing, though. He's got the potential to be an innings eater that is also, within those innings, one of the top 12 pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. That's in his range of outcomes. And so if I am to believe all of the reports that are coming out from Japan about who this player is, the Cardinals should extend themselves. They should go do this. They should go pay the money that is necessary to get the thing that they have been missing. Because if you do that and you've got Yamamoto, Michaelis, uh, Mats, Lynn, and Thompson, plus all of the young guys, and you figure out what to do with a number five starter situation there. If you've got that in place, man, if it ends up working out with Yamamoto, what you're going to be looking for at the deadline is like a mid-tier starter where you can go into the postseason and you've got Yamamoto plus Michaelis plus whoever you add at the deadline as your first three game starters in the postseason. You're feeling pretty good about that, man. 
You can win a postseason series with those guys on the mound, especially because in this scenario, you didn't have to give up your offense. So I would extend myself in this situation because it is such a unique opportunity for you. And it's risky, but man, this team, it's time for them to to set aside the risk-averse nature of what they've been for the past decade. Go do something that makes you uncomfortable, and this is the guy that I think you do it for. Any other path that you choose to pursue this offseason to upgrade your pitching staff, you lose the ability to stay relevant in the other areas. So what I mean by that is if you go out there and you sign a couple of starting pitchers, you're probably underwhelming as the rotation. Sonny Gray, Eduardo Rodriguez, it's probably underwhelming. still missing a number one. still missing a number one. But you kept your offense in place. But let's say you go out there and you sign another middle-tier guy, but you trade for a glass now or a cease or a uh, Logan Gilbert. Well, now you're giving up your assets from your offense that yep. your pitching better be damn good because your offense is going to struggle. And you lost draft capital. You lost a second-round pick to be able to sign Sonny Gray and as in this, well. this scenario, I'm putting 30-plus million dollars out there with the posting fee involved. Yeah, that's a lot. But I'm keeping my dominant offense in place that I believe I have. My rotation is significantly better because I have an ace and my bullpen is just going to be bits and pieces. But this is where a team's got to say, all right, we did our due diligence in the offseason. And when the trade deadline comes, let's make our team better. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to Jeremy Rutherford here in just a moment. Blues Insider for the Athletic from the 314. Guys, the Cardinals won't go after Yamamoto. That's, that is my baseline stance as well. Me too. When Derek Gould is reporting something like this, I trust it. Derek Gould does not traffic in hope. He is not somebody like, we love him. We love J.P. Morosi. But when J.P. Morosi throws something out there, he is saying this team is connected to this team because I connected all of these dots. And sometimes he's got reporting too, don't get me wrong. But a lot of the time when you see him going on an MLB network, he's like, hey, the Cardinals need pitching. Aaron Nola's out there. Aaron Nola should be a Cardinal. That's not based on reporting it's just him saying like hey connecting these two things it makes a lot of sense Derek Gould is not doing that in this scenario Derek Gould is telling you based upon the sourcing that he has within the Cardinals and everything else the Cardinals have legitimate interest in Yamamoto Yamamoto is not declining the opportunity to play in St. Louis he's interested in playing for the Cardinals in St. Louis and the Cardinals are now open to the opportunity of talking about what a contract would look like for him to play here. If that all is true, and if the Cardinals are changing their way that they're going about things, then we got to talk about it. Yeah. And I'm I'm very skeptical on a scale of one to ten for terms of like my belief that they'll actually do it. It's like a three. Oh, I'm like a negative two. Like I don't think it's yeah. happening. But you know the line that really sold me in Gould's piece was him saying that the Cardinals have been positioning themselves for this move for over a year. Yeah. And that right there tells me, look, if the Cardinals are positioning themselves for something, they're not doing that just because. They've, if they are legitimately willing to go to this degree, they should do it instead of signing Sonny Gray. And yeah. I say that as the biggest Sonny Gray fan in all of St. Louis. All right, coming up next, Jeremy Rutherford. He's the Blues insider for The Athletic. He's out in Arizona right now. He Mullet took Arena. in a game from Mullet Arena last night. We'll ask him about the experience coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. Got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford. He's the Blues insider for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter 
at J.P. Rutherford. Jer, we appreciate the time as always, man. I know you were able to take in a game out there in Arizona last night. Blues back in action tomorrow night in Arizona. And I want to get started with a piece that you wrote over at The Athletic that I read this morning talking about Craig Berube, some of the decisions that he has made, some of the tweaks that he's made to the lineup. How would you rate the job that we've seen from Craig Berube early on this year, Jr.? I think pretty good. I, I feel like when you write a piece like that, that gives credit to the coaching staff for what they're doing. Obviously, they're going to be people who say, well, he could have done this or he could have done things sooner and it would have changed the outcome. You know, The answer is sure. But I think in this situation with the retool, with the roster that he has, and obviously there's a coaching staff and a general manager involved too in, in some of the decision-making and, and what they do, you know, you kind of have what you have to work with. And, and I think that what he's done so far, and I mentioned a few of the things in the piece, you know, showing some faith in Jake Neighbors. The other night, you a healthy stretch, Sammy Blay, and, and Jake Neighbors comes up with a, a big goal for you. I think that uh, Scott Prinovich getting in there and running that number one power play. Look, people can say he should have made that move a lot sooner and Prinovich should have been in the lineup a lot sooner, BK, and I won't disagree with that. But he's in there now, and he's elevated over a Tory Krug who's got years left on his contract. That doesn't happen every day, but they've done it, and it looks like they're going to stick with it. So I feel like there's a lot of things that Craig Bruby has done in this retool to try to get this team back on track after a very tough losses. And, Jared, wouldn't you say it's pretty obvious that the the buy-in that people questioned earlier in the season, that's not a question anymore from the response-type games that we've seen from the Blues? I agree, Alex, and I think the buy-in has generally been there throughout the entire Craig Bruby regime. I just think that's his personality, and that's how he gets players to play for him. Does that mean you know they haven't had bad seasons, bad stretches? Of course not. It happens all around. But I think, generally speaking, that players want to play for Craig Bruby. When they came to him at the beginning of the season and said, hey, this is the type of defensive system that we want to play, they came out and they learned the system, and they're getting adjusted to it. So, there are some flat performances. We're all going to remember Arizona. We're going to remember Vancouver. Where was the buy-in at that point? You know, being out here a couple of days early in Arizona uh, and being around the league, you kind of pick up on this happens in other cities too. It's not just people calling into sports talk shows in St. Louis wondering where the Blues buy-in is. It happens throughout the league after big losses. You see Vegas lost a couple games the other day you know, number one team in the league. So, you know, I, I think that when you talk about buy-in, you have to look at the big picture, and it's been there with the Blues. JR, I remember a few years ago, Oscar Sundquist, the, the quote that really stood out to everybody about him was he's the engine of the Blues, right? That that was the, the belief in him whenever he was here the last time around. Has he become that again in your mind? Yeah, I think so. And it's tough to do when it's a uh, limited role. Look, the other night when Bally's showed his ice time, and you knew that it wasn't a lot, but – I think it was 641 at the time, and he had already intercepted that pass and set up the, the Jake Neighbors goal. And, and you can just see, see him throwing his body around, blocking shots. Heck, they got him on the penalty kill, and now they're using him as net front on the power play. So as much as you can be the engine for a guy who might only play 10, 12 minutes a night, I think Oscar Sundquist has done that. I think uh, he told us coming into the season that he felt healthy again. You remember when he got traded? He had the hip injuries. He had the knee injury. Uh, but I think after bouncing back from those injuries, he's the type of player that we remember from 2019 and his days here. So, Jay, the, the one thing that has been talked, not just this season, but for the last couple of seasons, is what is this Blues identity? Are, are we starting to see that as a team that can lock down a game late if they need to? 
I think that we've seen that in terms of getting ahead and locking games down, Alex, that evidenced by the 8-0 record when they score first. And obviously when they do score, you know, they're going up a couple goals. But I still want to see what do they do when they get behind. And you have that 0-7-1 record when the other team scores first. And we've seen teams, especially on this road trip, like San Jose and L.A., when they started jumping on them, it was bad, 3 nothing, 4 nothing, and And so – we can talk about the buy-in, but I think this team needs to play better in the face of adversity, and I think we haven't seen that. So uh, I think bouncing back and beating Anaheim, that was a pivotal win. It really was. I mean, you can talk about it being a November game against the, the Ducks, uh, but I think when you talk about the potential of losing that game there and then coming into Arizona, a team that's had your number, you know, this could really get off the rails quickly. Uh, but I think Craig Bruby, we talked earlier, uh, pulled them in, and the leaders stepped up in that game, and we saw a really good performance to get a win there. And now you got a chance to make this a 500 road trip if you win in Arizona tomorrow. Uh, JR, and we're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic, for just another couple of minutes here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, you mentioned you want to see what this team is whenever they get behind. I, I feel like we know what they are at this point when they're behind. I know it's 17 games into the season, but I'm not sure this is a team that's capable of really playing that way. They, they are a, they're kind of back to what they were a couple of years ago, where they, they grind it out, they want to play from ahead, and they don't really have a power play that's going to be able to get them back into those games. Is that fair, or is it too early to say that? No, I think it's fair. And when I say that uh, you'd like to see that, I think what we've seen already speaks to what you're saying. That, that's who they are as of 17 games. And I think that there's the potential after 82 games that we look back and say the exact same thing that you just said. You just give them the benefit of the doubt that 60 games, you got a chance to, you know, change who you are a little bit. But from a talent perspective, a mental perspective, uh, if you want to get detailed, talk about the power play, you know, not being able to help them get back into games, certainly they don't have the makeup at this point to be that type of team. Yeah, but that's what the beauty of the season is and the chance to overcome and show that they can be that. So going into this one uh, against Arizona, JR, uh, the Blues have had a couple of days off. They've talked about the slow starts being an issue. How do you avoid the lack of slow starts for the Blues, especially if you've been off for two days? Yeah, that's a tough one. I just think they have to look at their situation and realize that Look, we've shown that we can be competitive on a lot of nights, and we've shown that we can beat good teams. And I think that maybe you look back in a couple of weeks at the loss to San Jose is something that could be a blessing in disguise. I mean, I really do feel like they took uh, the Sharks for granted. I felt like once the game spun out of control, they couldn't get it back. And I'm a firm believer that little things lead to big things. Even though you probably would have lost to L.A., a good team, a couple nights later, I think that what happened in San Jose, it just, you know, left them out of sorts. And, and I feel like that's why the win over Anaheim was a good uh, win because it allowed them to get back on track. So my situation, the way I view them is that they just need to approach the rest of this season as we know we can be competitive. Are we going to make the playoffs? You know, nobody knows yet, but I think that if they don't show that throughout the rest of the year, if they don't use the talent that they do have, and win the games they should and put themselves in that playoff conversation, you know, then shame on them. So, uh, you know, they've had certainly some great games. They've had some poor games. But I think this is still a team that can compete 
as we've seen with their near 500 record this season. He's Jeremy Rutherford. You can find all of his work at The Athletic, and you can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. Jer, we appreciate the time, as always, my man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Enjoy yourself out in the desert. Yep, anytime, boys. Thanks. You got See, it. Jer. That's Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. Appreciate him, as always. By the way, coming up, we'll talk a little bit more about the Blues in about 15 minutes or so with Ken Hitchcock, the former Blues coach, the new Hockey Hall of Famer. We'll certainly congratulate him on that and ask him about this year's Blues team. We'll do that coming up at 12 o'clock. But coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. If you guys have any questions, send them in. Now we'll get to Ken Hitchcock. We've got plenty of questions for him coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. Let's start out with this from the 314. Guys, did you see the news that Mike Schilt is going to be the next manager of the San Diego Padres? And if so, what do you think? More importantly, did you see the news? I did indeed. I did you have questions that came to mind? in the world. Like, you know, why he chooses to do certain things from a manager's perspective. Yeah, just specifically with Look, the bullpen. Good, good for Mike Schilt. Um, guy deserved another shot after St. Louis. He was going to get another shot. Maybe it was going to take some time after how it ended in St. Louis. Uh, but obviously, he knows how to manage. It's just a matter of, can you manage with a certain type of roster? And that's my biggest question with Mike Schilt. You've got a much different style of roster in San Diego than you ever had in the minors or at the big leagues with the St. Louis Cardinals. And I think some of that might help him. And it, a lot of this comes down to what they decide to do during, during the off season. If they keep the same team in place, he's going to have the ability to put the same group of nine players out there every single day. He can go to five starters that are just traditional starters. And I, I think that fits more of what Mike Schilt is as a manager. I think where things got a little hairy here is when they asked him to do other stuff, when he had to get, more with the modern game and this is not to say that he's like anti-analytics or anything like that I, I think he had some of that in him but I, I think a lot of it was he wanted to have more of the traditional lineup he wanted to have five starters that he could trust he wanted to have a seventh eighth and ninth inning guy closing out the game and that's just not what the Cardinals believe in now you can think that he's right the Cardinals are right whatever it doesn't matter when you're the manager of a team, and this is the way that we play, this is a roster that we have, you have to manage them the best way possible. They didn't think he was going to do that. Now he's going out to San Diego. My fear for him is that the roster is going to be much different when we start up the next season than what he's currently anticipating. Well, and now he doesn't uh, have the front office making the lineup card for him. Obviously, so that's great. Yeah, so. Um, what we've always said about the Padres is that their front office is definitely not involved in any way, shape, or form. They definitely get along well with the managers every single time that they go out there and hire somebody. It's never gone poorly, especially with an established manager that had success elsewhere. Yes. That has never once no. been an issue in San Diego. Bob Melvin, I wish you the best of luck in San Francisco. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Uh, guys, would you be willing to include Tommy Edman in a deal this offseason? And if so, what would that mean for your plans in center field? I'd be willing to include him. Um, and depending on what you decide to do, like if Edmonds in one deal and Carlson is in another, it might free you up to go out there and sign one of the center fielders that's available whether that's Harrison Bader or Kevin Kiermeyer, Those are the two top guys that are available right now. Um, I'd be willing to include him in discussions, but 
I don't know that the Cardinals are going to go that route. I don't think you trade Tommy Edmond unless it's giving you a significant return. And I'm not sure if you can get a significant return for Tommy Edmond. So I, I would say stay clear of it because I'd be more willing to move Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill and keep Tommy Edmond and just get a middle tier starting pitcher then probably get the same return for Tommy Edmond. And frankly, you're going to need Tommy Edmond's defense in center field. I don't like the idea of Harrison Bader because he can't be healthy enough for you. I'd go more Kevin Kiermeyer, but I would imagine he also had injury issues. Yeah, a couple and years I would ago. imagine there's going to be a lot of teams looking at Kevin Kevin Kiermeyer also. From the three one four, how much, if any, do you believe that the Newt Bar connection with Yamamoto will help the Cardinals in his free agency? I think it gets you in. Yeah, I think it's your icebreaker, right? Like it, if it, you have a friend that knows somebody. And not even talking about like baseball free agency or anybody, but that's a good way for you to get into the conversation. I get to Alex, if we were single and the two of us were buddies, obviously all of this is <laughs> going out on is, a limb. This is all false. In that scenario, like if your wife had a friend who was also single, it would be more likely for me to get a conversation with her friend than if I had no connection to her friend, right? Yeah. So that's basically what we're talking about here with Yamamoto. If, I think he gets you in. If anything, it helps him consider something that's not a coast team because of Lars Nupar. Sure. Maybe he doesn't do anything other than that because he wants to be on the coast, but it helps you consider rather than just completely shut the door. All right, final one. We'll get out of here on this. Ken Hitchcock coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Will Mizzou be ranked higher than Alabama after the season? And I'm talking about including bowl games. It depends, obviously, on what happens with Bama in the SEC championship game. If Bama loses in that game, then yes. I believe Mizzou will finish the season ranked higher than Alabama. As crazy as that sounds yeah, right now. I'm with you there because I think how Alabama's end of the season is going to go compared to how Mizzou's goes, if they win that bowl game, that, that puts Mizzou ahead of them. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to bat it or forget it. You guys can get involved in that segment as well at 314-399-9646. But next, Ken Hitchcock, former NHL head coach, now Hockey Hall of Famer. He's going to join the show coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Brandon Kylie and Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. As we head to our celebrity line now for six seasons, he was behind the bench for the St. Louis Blues. Five of those six seasons took the team to the playoffs. And a peek behind the curtain for me, my first year covering the St. Louis Blues uh, for KMOX at the time was the year that Ken Hitchcock took over. Uh, and now he is a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame. Ken Hitchcock joins us now on 101 ESPN. Hitch, it is great to catch up with you sir congratulations on being a hockey hall of famer how was the ceremony uh thanks alec thanks for having me on um you know what it, the ceremony was uh was really good but the, the highlight for me was um you know yeah we had a family and friends dinner one of the nights and then we the blues and stars put another night together they they were fantastic to see all my old friends from St. Louis and Dallas come to it. Uh, all the guys I worked with and for, that was fantastic. So to me, the highlight was getting to spend time with family and friends and, and then especially getting to spend time with uh, Army and his staff and, and Jim Neal and his staff. That, that was really a lot of fun. Did it make you miss the game at all, Hitch, or did you say, heck no, I'm happily retired now? 
Well, I don't really think I'm retired. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm working for Army. What I'm retired from is the travel. And I got to tell you guys, like, like the travel, you know, and maybe it's just because it, I started flying commercially to these events, but, <laughs> geez, the, the travel makes you know why you're, you are retired because it, it, it kicks the heck out of you. <laughs> what, what do you still love about being involved, Hitch? What, what do they have you doing uh, with the St. Louis Blues organization, if you can give us a little bit of insight into that? And what do you, what do you still love about being involved with the game? Uh, well, what I do is I, I work with Craig every off day. So every every non-game day, we're either touching base on practices, personnel, changes, uh, adjustments from the game before. Uh, and then every Tuesday, I talk to the American League, Drew Bannister and his staff. So I, I, I do I, – I'm on the phone probably five, six times a week with either Craig or his staff. And and then the same, you know, once a week with the American League guys. But I, I really um, – you know, the things I miss are running practices and running the bench. Those are the two things that I miss, and I think I'm going to miss it until the day I'm not with anybody anymore. <laughs> but I, I love that part of it. And But I got to tell you, I do not miss the travel. And, uh... <laughs> you said commercial flights. I understand why you don't miss that travel. We're talking with former Blues head coach and Hockey Hall of Famer Ken Hitchcock here on 101 ESPN, your home for the Blues. Hitch, when I when I watched your speech and just went through that ceremony, you know, I thought through your career, starting with Dallas and then with Philly and Columbus and then wrapping it up in Edmonton. How much of an impact did you feel like St. Louis made on your coaching career? Alex, you know, you know, where it really made a big difference for me was um, uh, it was it felt like I was back in Dallas again because it the 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 Blues we had a team of characters that had tremendous character and that was the same in in Dallas and so I, I felt like every year we were competitive as heck and every year we were right there you know and. You you, get, you want to give yourself a chance. Well, we gave ourselves a chance every year. You know, you can't you can't eliminate the goaltending that Crawford and Quick gave L.A. and uh, and Chicago, which was the small difference in our series. But man, for for six years we were really really competitive, and and we had a lot of character guys, and and we didn't get we didn't we didn't get out competed very often. We didn't get outworked very often, and that's something I was really really proud of. Hitch, when you think about that, I mean, we see the the stuff that takes place on the ice on game nights, but as a coach, and you see the stuff that's behind the scenes and the work that goes into it prior, how much of a team's success is dependent upon what you just said there with the character of the individuals that are involved within that team? It's huge because, you know, in order to win in the National Hockey League, you've got to do all the things that make you really uncomfortable and you've got to do them well. And we had a team that was willing to do that. You know, we had a team that would get in your face and stay in your face for 60 minutes and basically, you know, wear your will down. And we were really, really good at that for a long period of time. And after you get out of coaching or you go to another organization or you just sit back and take stock of it, that's, that's not easy to do. That's very unique. And, like I said, we we were a hundred point team every year, and and we deserved the record we got because we were so darn competitive, and we never got outworked. Very often, very seldom did we ever get outworked. 
Hitch, do you see less of that in the game today? And maybe not so much just in, in the characters of a locker room, but more so the commitment to the style, because it does seem like now with all of the, the top talent that teams are selecting in the first round and top picks, it, it, it seems like it's gone away from the four line and six defensemen and more so about one top line that, that dominates games. Yeah, a little bit there. I'll tell you what I see is the teams that are really good right now and have been really good for a few years are the teams that the non-negotiable part that the coach wants. Like there's certain aspects of the game where the coach has to be non-negotiable on it. And the teams that buy into that, they're really having successful years again and again and again. And I think that's the hardest thing is to convince your players that the non-negotiable stuff has to be a strong buy-in. And if you get that, like say a team like Vegas or, or, or teams like that, when you get that element in your group, it, it's contagious and you can win for a long, long time. And you're always battling to find that as a coach. And I find right now that the five or six teams that have it in the league right now, they dominate and they, they control the hockey game. And that's something that we did in St. Louis was there was four or five things that the players knew that were non-negotiable and I wasn't willing to give up any ground on it. And they they, they embraced that, and, and that's what made us successful. They embraced the non-negotiable side of things, and it, it gave us a very competitive advantage in a 60-minute game. What were some of those things for you, Hitch? What were the non-negotiables when you were the coach here in St. Louis? I can't tell you because I'd have to shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you see the Blues following those things this year, your non-negotiables? She signs it. I see really good signs, the things that you like to see, but we're not consistent enough. And that's what Craig and the staff is working hard on. And, and they're, they're really driving driving the bus in that element. But I see some of the non-negotiable stuff starting to come back into the group. And that's a really good sign. Do you, do you see that being the most difficult part, Hitch, of taking a team that has been good for such a long period of time and, you know, some of those players move on and then you get to that new era is that the toughest part from a coaching and really a front office perspective of guiding the new group into those old habits? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's challenging because the reason the guy plays in the national hockey league is because he's got skill and he's got a certain level of talent, but it's all the other stuff. Uh, like I said, the non-negotiable or the work element part of it that makes him an NHL player. And what Craig's trying to do is make this team fill, fill this team with, NHL players, not just talent. And um, if you if you win that battle as a coach, then you win for a long, long time and you can stay competitive for a very extended period of time. If you lose it, then you're constantly scrambling to try to find it. And I see signs that he's starting to win that over, and that's a really good thing. Ken Hitchcock is our guest here on 101 ESPN. He's a Hockey Hall of Famer. He's a coaching consultant with the St. Louis Blues and, of course, was the head coach here in St. Louis for a number of years as well. Uh, Hitch, I did want to ask you a little bit about the defensive structure that the Blues have implemented this year. Uh, you know this stuff better than we will ever understand it. In terms of what they're trying to do and how it started versus where it is today, how would you say their defensive structure has gone so far this year with the changes that they implemented? Well, basically, using football terms, they've gone from man-on-man to zone coverage. And there's a certain responsibility. So the quadrants in the D zone are cut into four four equal pieces. And then certain play, then those pieces are responsibility of the defensemen and the forwards. And you, you stay in that quadrant. 
and I think it's made them much more uh, dependable and much more uh, familiar with each other. There's less big errors. There's less chasing goes on. Um, but it's, it's, it's basically going from man to man to a zone coverage. And I think that I, I think overall they've done a really good job in in doing those things right. I think that's 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 been really a, a strong suit of the team, quite frankly, since training camp. When you were in coaching, Hitch, did did you make an adjustment like this with any of your teams? And if so, how, how long does it typically take before you see like uh, the 100%, whatever the peak performance is within the new structure of the defense? I made two major adjustments as a coach. Uh, the first adjustment I made was in Dallas where I, I, I coached the Euler way, which is what was called a full court press or 2-1-2 pinch system. And we didn't have the foot speed to play that way in Dallas, so I, I backed off and went to a one-two-two, and it, I, I stayed with that one-two-two for eleven years. And then when I went to uh, when I went to Columbus and I carried it into St. Louis, I defended using what was called numbers. You ceased being a positional player and you carried a number one, two, three, four, and five. And I stayed with that until the end of my coaching career, which I found really successful and if you look at all of our teams even the ones that didn't make the playoffs we're always in the top 10 in goals against and i i the number system is hard to teach uh hard to pick up but if you get locked in on it it's it's unbelievable because you give up nothing but it, it takes a long time to get used to it and it took me two and a half years in in, in columbus to get it down where we were where it was really a strong suit of our team, and then I carried that into the six years in St. Louis. Hitch, uh, Doug talked about this last offseason, just you know, being on the same page and wavelength as some of the younger generation as the generations of hockey has changed from what it used to be to what it is now. Do you see that as a challenge just in the National Hockey League now of coaches trying to find a way to communicate properly to those younger players? Uh, yes and no, guys. I think the number one element, the, the number one element that's changed, and people don't talk about it enough, is that what's changed for the players is they're they're more than willing to buy in, but they want to know what the end game is. They want to know if they buy in, what's what what is in it for them, what can they see as their benefits, and how is this going to turn out? They want the answers ahead of time now, and you got to be prepared to give them those answers. If you don't. They won't solicit a buy-in. And I guess the biggest element that's changed for me is the buy-in can be just as strong, but the selling has to start right up front. And they've got to know before you even say, this is how we're going to play, they got to know what the benefits are for them. And you got to be prepared to give them those answers. And some coaches can't. Some coaches can't give them the answers because they get offended by the player asking that question. But you can't be successful unless you're willing to give them all those answers before you begin the process. Hitch, this has been an absolute delight. I, I just have one final question for you, and thanks so much for spending some time with us today. If you could change one thing to today's game, and you can take that in any direction you'd like, what would you like to change? I would like to change three-on-three three because I think we're losing it on three-on-three. Three. I think we've got to get more action at both nets. We've got to get more in-zone time, so I really like the way the game is now, but I would, I would really attack three on three, and and make it that you can't pull the puck back, and you can't delay the game, you can't stall it. Once you cross the red line, 
you got to stay on that side of the red line. I, I would want more penetration on three on three, and I think that uh, it would make the game more excitable for the fans because, quite frankly, some of the three on threes is you go you go five minutes, there isn't even a scoring chance. I don't think what the that's what the fans are sitting around waiting for. They want to see the excitement back in it like there was when we first started it. Absolutely. Ken, once again, this has been an absolute pleasure. I uh, I say all the time that, you know, I was a hockey fan prior to you coming to St. Louis, but getting to cover your time in St. Louis really molded my hockey knowledge. Um, and I thank you for that. A hockey Hall of Famer. You truly are a delight to talk to. So once again, congratulations to you and your family. Thank you for taking some time out and doing this with us. And I know we'll be seeing you in St. Louis real soon. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me on. There you go. Ken Hitchcock, uh, hockey hall of famer and blues head coach. I'm telling you just, what do we 13 minutes with them? We could have spent 50. I, and, and well, and we I feel just like scratched the surface. <laughs> and I feel like I I learned more about hockey in these 13 minutes than I have for the last five years. That he's, uh, he could be in the hall of fame just for the knowledge that he has given about the game yeah. to specific fan bases. Like, yeah, a lot of people within our audience right now, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I'm sure all of you guys have some kind of a story with this where you would say, I learned X, Y, or Z about hockey because of Ken Hitchcock. Because that guy is a teacher, and he never stops teaching. No. Even when he's in front of the cameras or in front of uh, a microphone, whatever it is, he's willing to explain things. And that's one thing that I think the best coaches all have in common is if you have a question to them, and if it's a good one that makes them think, they're going to give you an excellent answer. Like TLR was this way. Mm -hmm. Now, if you questioned his decision-making, he wasn't going to be thrilled about it. But if you had an, a legitimate explanation as to why, if you, if you made him think about something a little differently, he would give you a great answer as to why he decided to do what he did. He'd push back, but he would give you the reason as to why he would do that. Ken Hitchcock was the same way. Now, he didn't really give the pushback. He's just going to give you the honest explanation as to why they're doing things the way that they do. And he's got enough pedigree and gravitas to lean on that. I think Ollie Marmel, honestly, is really good at the stuff as well, where he's going to give you an honest explanation as to why he did something the way that he did. And then if he thinks he messed it up, he'll tell you the next day, hey, I thought about that overnight. It kept me up all night long. Here's what I messed up, and here's what I would do differently if I had the opportunity to do it again. So that that was awesome. Loved every second. Uh, I'll of that. tell you the the one thing that I used to love, and I kind of gushed over there with Hitch, but I'm telling you, man, as a a 22 year old guy who started covering the Blues as a fan, like I learned so much. What Hitch used to do, and I talked about this with Jr. on uh, with Donnie on the Last Minute Blues podcast, but Hitch would do his media scrum following a practice, and he would you know, let the cameras leave, and then there would be like three or four people, and Hitch would pull a chair over, and he would sit down in it, and he'd call them fireside chats, where he would sit there, yep. and he would just take court of everybody. And if you asked questions, he would give you an honest answer, like what he was thinking, why he was thinking it, why he scratched a player, things like that. You just don't get that in the NHL. For somebody who's willing to give you as much as he can, I mean, he did threaten to kill you there with you know trying to get too much information, which I understand. But for somebody who's always willing to explain certain aspects of the game, there needs to be more of that in the NHL than, and less of guys that are trying to keep things tight to the chest because fans want a, back, a background information, and that's why Ken Hitchcock was a Hall of Famer. He's Alex Ferrario, that's Bradford Bruns, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Cardinals made an interesting decision over the weekend that went a little under the radar. One of the reasons why I think it matters is not so much the player that they ended up non-tendering, but what it means for their off-season decisions moving forward. We'll get into that coming up at 1230. Better to forget it is coming up next.
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. For better to forget it, you give us a scenario. We are telling you if we are betting it or forgetting it here on 101 ESPN. Alex, better to forget it. The Cardinals will sign one of Yamamoto or Sonny Gray by the end of the offseason. I'm going to forget this one. I want to bet it so bad because I want it to be Yamamoto so I can actually get excited about a move that the Cardinals make. But That would be get everybody excited, right? Fans would be excited about that one. Yeah, I I think that would be the absolute winningest offseason that John Mozeliak has ever had if they sign Yamamoto. And it's more so than getting Nolan Arenado. I think so. I I mean, Nolan Arenado was a pretty massive offseason, but if I'm not mistaken, that offseason still felt like they needed pitching. Well, that was the offseason. They fell short in one area. I can't remember what specifically. It was either pitching or bullpen help, but I thought it was pitching. But, I mean, you're signing a 25-year-old potential ace, which the Cardinals have not had since Chris Carpenter. So, yeah, I would say that's it. But I'm going to forget this one because I I believe you won't pay the money to get Yamamoto, and you won't win the bidding war for Sonny Gray. Mm. Gosh. So I guess we're pivoting to Waka and or Glass now? No. Yeah, trade we're, probably. No, we're piv- we're pivoting to Luis Severino or James Paxton. Uh, Mets are in on Severino, right? Per latest reports all over the place. Hmm, I don't know. I don't know. Can't buy it. Okay. Can't buy it either. Forgetting it. Uh, I'm going to bet it. I think they'll sign one of them. I think they will sign most likely. Um, by the way, it looks like there's going to be a media availability today. <gasps> Does that mean John that they've Mosey got Lock. Yamamoto? John Mosellock talking to the media. We we got a one hour heads up. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, one and a half. They're talking to two. It's uh, incredible. All right. Um, I'm going to bet it. I think they end up with Sonny Gray. I've said it all all along, Alex. He feels the most Cardinals-y of all Cardinals potential targets. Um, so I, I think they end up with Sonny Gray. That ends up being the route that they decide to go. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, better to forget it. The Super Bowl matchup will be a rematch of a year ago with the Chiefs and the Eagles. Ooh. I'm going to forget this one because I think you'll have two different teams in the Super Bowl this year. And I don't know who. I I think the AFC is so wide open, and I, I'm not going to try and upset you, PK, because I know that the Chiefs' kingdom still runs wild for you, but I, I, I just I, I, I could see some type of battle with some team that we're not talking about in the Chiefs to get to the Super Bowl. I'm not so sold on Philadelphia getting to the Super Bowl either, and I don't know who's going to stop the uh, the, bro- the brotherly shove. Apparently, that's what this is right now, and Nick Sirianni is very cocky about it. But I don't see Philadelphia, even though I know that like record-wise they're the best team. I feel like a team like Dallas or a team like San Francisco could come out of nowhere and surprise you. So I'm going to say forget it. You still have to see it from Dallas, after all, in the playoffs. To me, by season's end, the road to the Super Bowl. 
from the AFC side still goes through Arrowhead Stadium. I understand what transpired last night. I need to see the Ravens with Lamar Jackson actually accomplishing that, doing it on the road in the postseason. So I will ride with the Chiefs, but forget it insofar as when you're talking about the NFC, specifically the 49ers, and it will all hinge on the health, yes. But when you line up the Eagles versus the 49ers 10 times out of 10, you may very well have a 50-50 split. But the transformative Christian McCaffrey is playing this season, if you continue to see the option, the guy like a Debo Samuel, and now with Brock Purdy playing at a level arguably better than last year, I ride with the 49ers, actually. Uh, I'm going to say about it. I think that we will see a rematch of a year ago. I've said for the last few weeks, I think those are the two best teams in their respective conferences. It's not been pretty for the Chiefs offensively. I do think they, though, have, I mean, arguably the best defense in the AFC, and I think their offense is Last night, with notwithstanding, and what they've done in the second half in the last three weeks, notwithstanding, I think their offense is still fine. I, I think that we are judging them relative to their own standards, and their standards are the greatest four-year stretch that we've seen for an offense in, like, the last 20 years. So it, it's a pretty high standard to be judged upon. They're a top 10 offense in the league, even this year. So I think they'll be, they're going to be fine. I think they're going to still make the Super Bowl, despite all of the issues that we have certainly seen. Sprout. But didn't you hear that Taylor Swift is on her eras tour throughout the postseason run? Yeah. Yeah. So it's clearly going to be a problem. Travis Kelsey's not going to be good if she's not there. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service sex line for better to forget it. Better to forget it. We get two teams from the SEC in the college football playoff. Bet it. I think it's going to be Georgia and Alabama. And I, I know a lot of that rides on Alabama winning in that SEC championship game. But even if they don't, I just wonder if the popularity that is Alabama overrides a team like Washington if they get bounced by Oregon. So I'm going to say bet it. Fair point. I will bet it as well, because until proven otherwise, I don't know if I envision the Pac-12 when all is said and done having the equity there, being able to field a couple of teams because the do or die matchup will unfold between Oregon and Washington. If Washington prevails, then this isn't even a conversation. But given just how well Alabama has been playing in recent weeks and think about the quarterback position, too, I understand the Bulldogs have definitely ratcheted it up, too. That's going to be a heck of an SEC title game. And yeah, Give me two. I think it's going to be one. Um, if Bama loses that game, they're done. And I think Georgia's better. So I think Georgia wins that game, boots Bama out of the college football playoff conversation. And then what, Texas or Florida State gets in? Yeah, you'll get Georgia, one of Ohio State or Michigan. I think one, whoever loses that game would still be ranked at that point ahead of uh, Alabama as well. Oregon or Washington. And if Oregon wins that game, you can see Washington ranked ahead of Alabama as well. If Florida State goes undefeated, they'll probably put them in even with their backup quarterback. And I think Texas would be ranked ahead of Alabama as well because they literally beat them head to head. So uh, I think if Bama loses that game, they're completely eliminated from playoff contention. And I think they're going to lose that game. So I'm going to say I forget it. I do not think they will end up making it to the college football playoff coming up in about 15 minutes or so we're diving into the junk drawer in the one o'clock hour we'll talk to jim Bowden, former major league baseball general manager about what he expects the cardinals to do this offseason last year alex this time last year he came on the air and said this is going to be your offseason you're going to get a catcher it's going to be either sean murphy or wilson Contreras, and then the cardinals might try to reacquire will uh jose quintana and then that's it 
Nailed it. And we said, Jim, that cannot be what they're really going to do, right? And he said, that's it. That's what they're going to do. He said, suck it up. And he was 100% right. So we'll see what he thinks they're going to do this time around coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. But next, speaking of the Cardinals, they've got a big decision to make on their catcher situation. Feels like they kind of made their choice over the weekend. We'll discuss it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Cardinal fans see what could have been every year through the lens of that postseason. And this year it was heightened by the fact that the Cardinals weren't there to offer, you know, a challenge to it. They weren't playing in October. So they kind of yielded the whole stage to former Cardinals and this question of what could have been. They'd seen players from their roster not get opportunities here, but then shine elsewhere. They see all this what could have been. And they wonder, okay, well, where's the great leap for the Cardinals to get back to what they need to be? Enough of the what could have been, get back to what you're supposed to be. Apparently the Cardinals believe Von Herrera could be part of that. That's Derek Gould on MLB Network yesterday alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, the Cardinals have some big decisions to make this offseason with their catching situation. We knew that to be the case, but when they got an extra option year on Von Herrera for the pandemic season, we all kind of assumed, okay, well, Herrera is going to start next year in AAA, and whenever needed, he'll come up to the big league club, and Andrew Kisner will be the backup to Wilson Contreras. That is not the route they're going to go. Instead, they decided to non-tender Andrew Kisner. Uh, The other day, John Mosaloc was made available on the Cardinals radio network, and he said that they really wanted to clear a path for Yvonne Herrera, and that's why they decided to non-tender Andrew Kisner. Alex, the reason why this matters for the Cardinals is not so much about Yvonne Herrera. We can talk about him as we get closer to spring training. He's certainly an interesting um, player for this team. He had a great season last year in the minors. It's really about what it means for their trade options. If you're clearing a path for Yvonne Herrera to be on this team in 2024, it means you're not expecting him to go elsewhere. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that inherently. But he's one of their best trade chips going into this offseason. If you have now taken him off of the table, it doesn't appear as if this is a team that really wants to trade Nolan Gorman or Brendan Donovan. I don't blame them for that. They're certainly not going to be listening on offers to Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt. Jordan Walker's off the table. Lars Newbar has not been on the table either of the past two seasons. Man, we're getting pretty slim pickings in terms of what is actually available via trade this offseason if they want to make that significant upgrade to their rotation. How much of an impact do you think this Avon Herrera decision makes on their quest for a starting pitcher this offseason. I, I think you what do you always say, BK? Look at what their um their actions, not their thank words. Thank you. Their action take their actions, not their words. And I, I mean, if you're pulling all of these guys off the tables, now I know those are words, but it's also actions because the last couple of seasons they've had the opportunity to trade Donovan and Newt Barr and Burleson and Gorman. And they didn't want to do that because they liked their offense. Now you're going into this offseason. I think this makes it more likely that they're going to be doing the free agent route rather than the trade route because all of these names process of elimination. Who's left standing? Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, Tommy Edmond, and that's it. And I'm not sure though and Alec Burleson too. I haven't seen anybody report that they don't want to trade Alec Burleson. But those four guys, I'm not sure you could package those four guys together and get something that is a not two Cease, in a rotation. Not Logan Gilbert. Maybe it gets you um, 
Glass now? Glass now? Like Maybe. Probably not the four of them together. You could probably package two of those guys yeah. together, some combination of them, if it's the right combination. But even that. Glass now, but that's for one year of control. And it's a guy who's only going to give you maybe 150 innings. So, like, that doesn't fix your rotation problem. So, I think this is why, if if you're optimistic and you're somebody that believes, this is why the Yamamoto route might actually be happening. Because they're not willing to trade any of these pieces to go out there and acquire the starting pitcher. Or maybe the starting pitchers that they want to acquire aren't available with these pieces. Maybe you have to give more. But if they're pulling Herrera off the board, if they're pulling Gorman off the board and Donovan off the board and Nupar off the board... Well, then every team that you're trying to acquire an ace or a number two from, they're going to hang up the phone. So Yamamoto and Gray seems very, very more likely. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. This feels to me like the Cardinals, if they go the trade route, not sure Dylan Cease is going to be the one that they go out there and acquire. Don't think that the guys from Seattle are probably the route. I I feel like Tyler Glass now is... Like if you're going the route for a big-time pitcher, Glasnow's the guy. If you're going the trade route for somebody that can just bolster the back end of your rotation, maybe now we are talking about Alec Manoa or Shane Bieber or one of those other guys that either is expecting or hoping for a big-time bounce back or has just one year left on their contract and they're kind of hoping to trade a spare part for a spare part, right? A position player for a pitcher, that kind of a thing. You have been all in on the Alec Manoa discussion why is he somebody that interests you so much because it's a cheap option and it's somebody that's controlled it's somebody that's young and the most important reason is it's somebody that has Cy Young potential and I'm skeptical that the Cardinals can fix this guy I'm skeptical that he comes in and is actually a competitive pitcher but the way I'm viewing an offseason for this Cardinals team is, you know what? You sign a Sonny Gray or you do get a Yamamoto and you've brought in Lance Lynn. And in Derek Gould's piece, he talked about how Mo is discussed of, you know, finding that ace, getting somebody who's got inning protections and then getting somebody who's got upside. And the upside of Alec Manoa is a guy who could be a Cy Young candidate. The downside is somebody that you basically wash away and say, well, didn't work. We, we don't have him anymore. But you're giving up at least what the reports were a Dylan Carlson for this guy or a Tyler O'Neill for this guy. And I think every Cardinals fan can agree like that. That story is kind of closed for both Carlson and O'Neill because it hasn't panned out and it's been three to five years for all of these guys. So why not get rid of that storybook and bring in another one to where there is potential of getting a guy who is going to give you Cy Young stuff, just like what you're hoping to acquire in Tyler Glass now, just like what you'd be going after with a Dylan Cease. You just got to find a way to fix this guy. But everything I've heard from the Cardinals organization is, well, Dusty Blake is a master when it comes to this type of thing. All right, well, you've got a guy here who's going to be the best pitcher available with the best stuff for what you are willing to trade. And that's Dylan Carlson. And to me, I would take a chance on this every day of the week, but you got to back it up with actual talent at the top. This feels a lot like last year's Cody Bellinger conversation where it is a, hey, something's clearly not right here. But if it gets back to being what it was, you've got a potential MVP. And so, yeah, it's going to cost you a lot when it came to Cody Bellinger last year. It was like $20 million. And I was out on Bellinger. I thought they needed more certainty in their lineup than what he was going to bring to to the situation. I'm almost the opposite here, depending on what they do at the front end of their rotation. If the Cardinals end up signing Yamamoto, for example, and then they trade for Alec Manoa, 
I love that offseason, man. If you bring in Lance Lynn as a certainty at the back end of your rotation, you bring in Yamamoto for what is approaching a certainty despite never having pitched in the big leagues, and then you bring in this big-time wild card of Manoa, who, if he's right, and you can slot him in 1-2 with Yamamoto at the front end of your rotation, and you're thinking to yourself, hot damn, this is the best 1-2 we've seen in the Cardinals rotation in five, six, seven, eight years? I mean, it's been a minute since we've seen something like that. So I love the upside there. It just necessitates you get something that is more certainty. You have to then pair Manoa with Sonny Gray or Eduardo Rodriguez or Yamamoto. You've got to get something else that I can really hang my hat on. Otherwise, you're going into like you can't get Manoa and Tyler Glass now. Yep. That is way too much uncertainty. Too few innings for what you're going to need next year. I, I like the idea of adding one of Manoa or Glass now. You just can't pair them together. Yeah, and see, that's where my whole take is on this one. There's no getting Alec Manoa and saying that's our best offseason addition because that's a failure. And as much as I love Alec Manoa, it's a failure. Even if he pans out to be that Cy Young candidate, you're going to have to go through some trials and tribulations of it, but you also don't have that other guy. So Manoa needs to be the cherry on top of the Sunday. Right now, Lance Lynn is the is the actual cookie, the foundation, because he's the one that's going to give you 180-plus innings. Yeah, you're right. I'm making this happen. You need to find that whipped cream topping. You need to find the guy that spices up the dessert. And that's Sonny Gray or Yamamoto. And then pluck Alec Manoa on top and say, all right, now let's go to work. Because best-case scenario, you fix Manoa, your rotation – going into a potential postseason berth is Yamamoto slash Sonny Gray, Alec Manoa, and Miles Michaelis. Anybody would be happy about that if Manoa's right. Absolutely. But you can't go into that with Michaelis, Manoa, and Lynn. That's a failure. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line uh, from the 314. Guys, if they were to get Manoa and Lynn and then signed Yamamoto as well, do you think they could then go out there and sign a fourth starter like Sonny Gray? Whoa. No. <laughs> no. Guys, Cardinals do have to be prudent of their money. If they get Yamamoto, I believe any other pitcher they would acquire, and this is just speculation by me, but I, I feel like it's probably fair, will be via trade. If yeah. they get Yamamoto, I do not think that you then go back to the no. free agency market to add another starting pitcher. I don't think they have the money to do that. You got to remember, Yamamoto is probably going to cost you 25 to $30 million per year in salary. And then for the first year, you're also paying nearly $30 million as a posting fee. So in terms of the cash that you're having to send out this year, it's closer to $60 million to sign Yamamoto so if their budget is what they have indicated it's going to be for 2024, I would be very, very surprised if they get Yamamoto and another starter via free agency. If you get Yamamoto, though, Alec Manoa is not expensive. Yeah, He is somebody that could be had in terms of prospect capital and just pure money at a more than a reasonable price. Um, you just got to fix them. Mm-hmm. You got to fix what's going on there and... I don't know that I trust the Cardinals to do it, but I'd like to see him try. It. Well, and I don't either because, I mean, people know me. I'm the most skeptical out of everybody on the show when it comes to the Cardinals kind of coaching staff. But I I wonder if it's not as much. I mean, look, mechanic-wise, something was off with Manoa. 
But everything. I think it was mental. It was physical. I think everything. Yeah. I think there was something with the pitch clock. Like I think he just got messed up last yeah. year, and, and it never got back on track. And it doesn't help when the organization doesn't have your back, and it didn't seem like they did. And at least if you can fix the mental side of it, I'll give Cardinals the benefit of the doubt that they can fix the other side of it. And a new a new place, a new scenery could benefit a play like, player like Manoa. Yeah, I, I don't mind the idea of a project as long as it is the the secondary piece to what else they do this offseason. I, I think that whether it's Manoa or Glasnow, and those are very different reasons for them being quote-unquote projects. You're expecting 20 starts out of Glasnow. Manoa, you just hope to God he's healthy and right mentally. But if you get those guys, you got to pair them with one of the other big-time free agents that's on the market. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, Two guys in the Blues lineup have completely altered the way that we view the roster right now. It is not the two guys we were expecting it to be. We'll get into that coming up at the top of the hour. The Junk Drawer is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We normally do the Junk Drawer today, but it's time to get mad. No, you can't get pre-mad. No, this is no longer pre-mad, Alex. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kiley. Can we get the breaking news sounder, Bradford? It's There has been another signing by the St. Louis Cardinals. And we'll have that breaking news sounder for you momentarily to announce. Do you want the T-bone breaking news? Let's go ahead. Okay, hold on. See if I can get his high-pitched voice. Breaking news! I mean, that's the same quality that this deserves. <laughs> so let me say this on the front end. I'll give you the news. The St. Louis Cardinals have reached an agreement, according to Bob Nightingale, with Kyle Gibson. No news yet on what exactly the contract is, how long oh. it will be for, but Kyle Gibson is a St. Louis Cardinal, according to Bob Nightingale. The Cardinals, abs- by the way, have announced a press conference that will take place coming up in just about an hour. So uh, <laughs> if if Mo doesn't start that press conference with, ladies and gentlemen, we've got him. Kyle Gibson last year made 33 starts for the Baltimore Orioles. He had a 4.7 ERA in those 33 starts. He threw 192 innings. He has a strikeout rate that is below league average. He struck out seven batters per nine innings. Let me give you my reaction to this news. I think the Cardinals have learned the wrong lessons. And everything they spouted about learning about strikeout rates and how important that stuff is, it's nonsense. They can't sell you that anymore. They brought in Lance Lynn, who's fine when it comes to strikeout rates, and Kyle Gibson, who is 36 years old and is an objectively great human being. Like, if you're trying to replace the presence and the human being of Adam Wainwright inside of that clubhouse, man, you did it with Kyle Gibson. He's a great dude. And I was calling for the Cardinals to sign him or trade for him two years ago. I thought he would have been a great addition because what they needed then was innings. They needed certainty. They needed somebody to add depth to the back end of the rotation. Alex, they signed that. They got him yesterday. No, yesterday was the number two. Was the guy that you bring in to fill this role. And now you double down on innings. You double down on certainty. Where's the ceiling in this rotation, dude? Maybe it's going to be Yamamoto. I don't think that's good enough. You have one guy that is an above-league average major league starter right now. One. 
in the current rotation if you sign Yamamoto. Right now, you have zero, frankly. None. Steven Matz ain't that. Miles Michaelis last year wasn't that. Kyle Gibson isn't that. Lance Lynn isn't that. So you've got a bunch of dudes that are fine, that you expect to go out there and make a bunch of starts. Cool. Are we trying to win 80 games, or are you trying to make it to a World Series? Because the talk all offseason is that this is going to be different. It's not happening again. Okay, cool. I know who the five guys are now that are going to be starting games. I don't think it's going to go well. This is, again, Kyle Gibson as a human being does not deserve the reaction that I am giving you right now. But this signing is symbolic of what the Cardinals have become. This is... Alex, what's your reaction? (laughs) Probably about what you were about to not say is how I'm feeling right now. This... This is why I reacted the way I did to Lance Lynn, guys, because Lance Lynn was probably the number two in the Cardinals' eyes. A cheap option, although $10 million seems like a lot, but a cheaper option to get a number two, and then you'll get your depth guy, and then you'll go out there and you'll get that one piece. I hate to break it to people, but Yamamoto and Sonny Gray seem very unlikely. You know what seems a lot more likely now? Tyler Glass now. And I hope that gets people excited because 150 innings of Tyler Glass now is going to be the best thing this Cardinals have to offer. If there's only one more starter coming, then the offseason is a failure. I don't care who the next starter is. It's a failure. You added depth and no ceiling. That cannot be the answer, man. They're going to go out there and they're going to say, well, look, we signed Lance Land. We signed Kyle Gibson. We signed them. They, they probably will still sign Sonny Gray. And they'll go out there and they'll try to sell you, the fans, a lot of innings. That, in, that an innings surplus now that they have with Sonny Gray and Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson and Miles Michaelis and Steven Matz and Zach Thompson. Look at all these names. We've got like 12 starters. Woo-hoo. Cool. Cool. Put that up next to the contenders. Put that up next to Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. Put that up next to whatever it is that the Braves are about to do this offseason with Spencer Strider and whoever else it is that they've got in their rotation. Max Freed as their number two starter in a healthy season. Put that up next to whatever it is the Dodgers are about to do. Put you that up against what the Cubs are going to do. I, I, I just, <laughs> th- this is laughable, dude. It is laughable that this is their response to the worst season by the Cardinals in 30 bleeping years. The response is Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson? So Yamamoto does nothing for you if he signs. I mean, it helps, obviously. He's a good starter, mm. but... You have no ceiling to what you're doing right now. You added innings, and you lack any sort of upside. So if you get Yamamoto, great. That's super cool. And the way that you were able to get them was our holding on to all of our assets again. We're going to hug these assets because we can't go out there and trade because we screwed up five years ago. And so we can't do that again. Can't go out there and let some of our guys go. Juan Yepes, by the way, who they held on to too long, he ends up getting non-tendered. Now he's going to go help somebody else out. Fine, I I don't mind the decision, but it is once again a symptom of the problem. The problem is they are so afraid of making a mistake that could come back to cost them that they hold on to their assets way too long. So maybe... I'm going to look really silly for this reaction two weeks from now after they trade for Tyler Glass now and they've signed Yamamoto and they're coming in and they're like, hey, we didn't have enough starters last year, so we're going to have seven of them this year that are going to come in and they're going to compete from opening day. But do you really Maybe. think that's going to happen? No, I don't believe that. I think the next no. guy is going to be their 
their ace in the hole and say, here we go, boys. Now we're ready to run it back, which again, the reason I was so pre-mad yesterday was because Lance Lynn fully felt like the number two signing for this offseason when they could just go spend a ton of money on the number one, but that ton of money on the number one is going to be Sonny Gray. Every single one of you on the text line, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You're all right. I should have seen it coming. The problem is I didn't. And so I'm really upset right now that the Cardinals sold us on something. They sold you as a fan on something. They said with all of their words that this is going to be different. And it's not. This is the exact same. In fact, maybe worse. Because this was in response to a historically bad season. And so for them to respond this way is super disappointing, man. I have no problem with them signing Kyle Gibson. I have no problem with them signing Lance Lynn. Those signings in and of themselves individually are totally reasonable, man. They're, in fact, pretty good signings. I thought yesterday it was funny because it's getting the band back together. But the Lance Lynn signing was more than fine. It's a good contract for him. Like You get some certainty at the back end of your rotation. I've got no problem with that. If they hadn't signed Lance Lynn and today they signed Kyle Gibson, I would give the exact same reaction today to Gibson that I gave yesterday to Lynn. The problem is, now that they've signed these two guys, and they're going to go out there and they're, they're going to probably get one more, I, I don't know how you can sell me on upside in this rotation. We'll continue our discussion coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I've calmed down, I think. (laughs) I don't think you have, man. You didn't speak that entire segment. This feels like when my wife gets mad at me and she doesn't talk for like 15 minutes and I'm like, oh crap, what did I do? So I should have reset. This is on me. You should have taken a second. Take a walk. If you missed it in the last segment, the Cardinals have announced that they are signing Kyle Gibson. Now, they do have a press conference coming up in less than an hour. At the start of the fast lane at 2 o'clock, you'll hear from John Mozeliak, who will explain where the Cardinals are at at this point in the offseason now that they have added two starters to the rotation, the latest being Kyle Gibson. Uh, We do not have yet, at least not that I've seen, any details Mm -mm. um, on what this deal is going to be, if it's a one-year deal, multi-year deal, what the money is. So we, we don't have any of that information as far as I I've seen thus far, but Kyle Gibson is going to be a part of this uh, rotation going into 2024 with Alex Ferrario and Bradford Browns. I'm Brandon Kylie. We're going to be joined by former major league baseball general manager, Jim Bowden coming up here in just a little bit. Good timing uh, to be joined by a former major league baseball GM. I'll ask him if I'm overreacting on the Cardinals taking the easy way out. I was Alex, more going to say, will you ask him if this is his off season and what your reaction is going to be when he says this is it. So, I looked this up just a little bit ago because I think the Cardinals learned the wrong lesson from 2023. I think what they learned based on their actions, not their words, is innings matter. That's that's the lesson that they learned. They didn't have enough innings to get through the regular season, and therefore they fell short, and that is what they had to replace. They needed innings, baby. And if that's what their lesson is, like they have succeeded in that goal. Lance Lynn provides a lot of innings. Kyle Gibson provides a ton of innings. Those guys take the ball every fifth day, and they're going to go out there and make 30 starts for you. Miles Michaelis does that for you as well. You have 100 starts that you could basically lean on on opening day of next year between Lynn, Gibson, and Michaelis. Here's the problem. Are they going to be good starts? That I can't tell you. 
That I, I don't have a good answer for you. Because last year, if you look at fielding independent pitching, which takes away the defense because some of these guys didn't play in front of great defenses, there were a total of 25 starters last year in Major League Baseball that threw at least 180 innings. Among those 25 starters, Kyle Gibson was 20th in fielding independent pitching. He was, or Miles Michaelis was 21st in fielding independent pitching. And Lance Lynn was last, 25th in fielding independent pitching. Now, among those guys, because we learned during the season, the Cardinals want to add strikeout rate, right? Swing and miss stuff. Among the 25 starters that threw at least 180 innings, Kyle Gibson was 23rd in strikeout rate. Miles Michaelis was 24th in strikeout rate. Lance Lynn was better than those two. He was 16th, which is still below league average. I just don't know how you can sell this to me that you're getting a bunch of quality innings. You're getting innings, yes, but I don't think it actually fixed the problem that existed well, there. Well, and if I could be honest, I mean, like, you, you, yes, you take away the defense, and, and but you can't. And the shift obviously has impacted both of these pitchers because two years ago we were talking about guys that weren't that bad. Two years ago, maybe we're a little bit more optimistic for this, but last year both were awful and both played with the shift being banned. And I I got to tell you, I'm a little more concerned about that. I mean, we saw Miles Michaelis falter and then figure it out. But can we get the same thing from a 37-year-old starting pitcher? Can we get the same thing from 35-year-old starting pitcher? And if they're not making trades from the position players, we're talking Gorman more than likely at second base. We're talking Walker and Edmund and Newt Barr in the outfield. And that's all barring health all season long. And we know that doesn't happen. So what are your backup options? So, yeah, you got innings. Great. But defensively, with the banning of the shift, it obviously impacted both of these pitchers last season. And I'm not so sure that going all in for innings and making sure our rotation has support matters if your defense still can't fill the void for you. I just... And again, you could go out there and tr- and sign Blake Snell. You could get Yamamoto. You could trade for Tyler Glass now. I got to be honest with you, BK. The only way that I get optimistic about this offseason is you getting two of those guys. I don't think one of those guys makes that much of a difference because you're still relying on Lynn and or Gibson to be the third or fourth best starting pitcher in your rotation. Yeah, I just... I really want to know what the terms are for this Kyle Gibson contract. I would assume it's got to be similar to what they gave Lance Lynn. So you're uh, talking- here it is. I've got it for you. Ten. It's a year, twelve million dollars plus a team option. So you spent twenty two million dollars, twenty three million dollars. Here's the thing. I would just rather have Sonny Gray. Like, just get two starters and have the twenty three million dollars that you signed on Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson oh go to Sonny Gray. <laughs> like. Those guys provided a safe haven to you, though, right away, and that was the front office's mentality. Think about it, locking them in. You may dispute it, but getting them in place, the veteran presence or two, that's how they're looking at it. And then you're working backward, or so you hope, in this instance. Okay, but you don't have upside that that, I'm not saying it's upside. No, but what I'm saying is you don't have upside in-house to where these are fallback options. These are the upside for you right now. Like, Zach Thompson's the only guy that we're sitting here legitimately looking at for the rotation saying, you know, he's going to be able to be somebody who could pitch like a three or four for us. They can't sell you this. They can't. I'm sorry. You, you, you If they try to sell, they're going to try to sell it to you at, at oh, 2 yeah. o'clock. And when they do, listen to it with a very skeptical ear. Oh. And I just... $23 million was just spent on these two pitchers. For 2024. It, it, it's it's inexcusable. It, it, it really is, man. I, I'm sorry. I just... It, does this... I try to come into this stuff with an open mind. I, I really do. And 
Like, I, I might look back on what I'm saying right now this time next year, and we look back and laugh because of how insane it was that we reacted this way. I, I don't think we will. Um, Kyle Gibson was a below-league average starter last year. Lance Lynn, by the numbers, was arguably the worst starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. Now, he did throw a lot of innings, so you have to add that value there. But uh, he was, statistically speaking, arguably the single worst Major League starter that made 25 or more starts. It's it's just a very frustrating way to start out this offseason. I just saw this tweet. Um, the most hits allowed in 2023. You now, your rotation possesses three of the top five pitchers who had the most yeah, hits allowed last year. They don't strike guys out. The one thing they said they were going to add was swing and miss stuff, and they have not done that with their first two offseason moves this year. Jim Bowden, former Major League Baseball general manager, makes heads and tails of this for us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. When I reached out to Jim Bowden last week, I did not know that the Cardinals will have already made two signings for their rotation for 2024, but that's where we're at. Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson are joining the Cardinals, and Jim Bowden joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. He is a former Major League Baseball general manager, and you can now read his work over at The Athletic and hear him on MLB Network Radio as well. Jim, we appreciate the time as always, man. I want to get your reaction to the first two moves of the Cardinals offseason. We're... A little frustrated and disappointed by a the little. lack of quality innings, but there are a lot of innings here. What do you think of Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson joining the Cardinals? Well, I mean, as you mentioned, you do have to have innings from your rotation, and so certainly they're building the rotation from the back to the front, unfortunately. Uh, Kyle Gibson gets a one-year $12 million deal. Lance Lynn gets a one-year $10 million deal here. So, you know, not not a, not a lot of long-term exposure here. A couple of guys that, you know, can compete at the back end. But certainly neither move is going to move the needle. I mean, Lance Lynn was hit around pretty hard last year as a member of the White Sox. Then when he got traded over the Dodgers, he went on a strong run, but then kind of fizzled out near the end of the year. Um, You know, this is the back end of his career. I'm glad he gets to return to St. Louis where he had his best years, really. And then with Kyle Gibson, you know, he can eat some innings, but the reality is you don't want either one of these guys starting if you make it to the postseason. So, it is important to eat innings. I get that. You get a couple of veteran guys to at least keep you in games. But I'm waiting for the next shoe to fall. I'm waiting I'm waiting for one of the, the, the top starters, the Yamamoto's or the Jordan Montgomery's or the Blake Snell's to sign because that's what St. Louis needs uh, more than anything right now if they're going to be able to contend. And, I, and that's a big if in the NL Central next year. Do you believe, Jim, that they're going to be front runners for one of those guys? Front runners, no, I don't. Um, and the reason I say I don't is St. Louis isn't exactly uh, positioned as a playoff team right now in the industry. And a lot of times when you're a top starter, you know, you're going to get the money wherever you go. And most likely teams, you know, play free agent players like to go where their best shot of winning a championship is. And so, you know, that, that opens up doors for teams like the Texas Rangers and the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Baltimore Orioles. Um, when pitchers are choosing, um, you know, that being said, you know, a lot of times a pitcher will take the most years and the most dollars. And, uh, you know, the, the good part about the two lefties, they're both represented by Scott Boris and Scott tends to put players based on the best offer he gets rather than um, best chance to win. 
We're talking to Jim Bowden, former Major League Baseball general manager here on 101 ESPN. Jim, if the Cardinals were to add, like, let's say those free agents don't end up signing here in St. Louis and they instead turn their attention to the free or the trade market. So they go get like a Tyler Glass now, for example. If Tyler Glass now is at the front end of this current rotation and that's the way that they decide to go about things, is, is that good enough to contend for anything meaningful in your mind? Is anything meaningful? I mean, look, I think whether it's Tyler Glasnow or Corbin Burns or Shane Bieber, I mean, those are number one starters. And so to me, they certainly change the outlook of any team. And anytime you get an ace of the level of those trio of guys that are expected to be traded, I mean, if you make it to October into the playoffs, it certainly improves your chances, um, you know, when once you get there. So, yeah, you know, look, the, both of these deals they just did with Lennon Gibson are one-year deals. Uh, I'm thinking they are going to probably want a longer-term starter here. Um, but, you know, the one thing that John Mosellock's history has been is he's not afraid to trade for a starter on his free agent year and then sign him long-term. And a lot of times free agents get to St. Louis. They, they get to understand the fan base and what a great baseball town it is. And a lot of times those free agents sign. So, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they go down that path. And, and I, you know, I, I think when you talk about Glasnow in particular or Burns or a Bieber, those names move the needle a lot more than a Lynn and a Gibson do in terms of, A, making the playoffs, but more importantly, B, having it be meaningful in October. So, so Jim, the one thing that I was concerned about with this Cardinals team is the focus of maybe kicking the can down the road for one more year to where, you know, you got these one-year deals and you can hope that some of these younger players progress into being top arms in the rotation and then dive into the free agent market once again. But I'm not sure John Mozeliak can justify that after a bad season. Yeah, and I don't know how long John's going to want to stay in this role. You know, I keep I keep getting the feeling that you know he's a year or two away from stepping stepping aside. Um, so I wouldn't surprise me. I don't think he wants to go out on this note, right? It was one of the worst, most embarrassing seasons during his tenure, uh, for sure. And I don't think he wants to go out that way. So yeah, I don't I don't think you know kicking the can down the road for one more year in the particular division they're in. You know, certainly makes sense. I mean, you look at Milwaukee, they're going to take a huge step back. Brandon Woodruff being non-tendered with his major shoulder injury. Corbin Burns probably being traded. So that knocks Milwaukee down a lot in that division. Uh, The Reds are primed to break out like Arizona did this year. The Cubs are going to be a lot better, and they're going to spend a lot of money this offseason. They're going after a lot of the big fish in free agency. So they're both going to be getting better. The, The Pirates still have a ways to go before they're relevant. So, you know, for the most part, this division is winnable. And so with some strong adjustments, even for the short term, St. Louis certainly can jump back in the conversation again, something they weren't last year. Uh, Jim, it, if I was to look at the reverse, because I'm frustrated today, um, they they signed two guys that if they signed either one of them individually, I'm fine with it as a, as a number five starter, but they, they needed the front two starters and they got the back two starters first. So if I was to look at the inverse of this, the flip side of it, and I'm trying to sell it as an organization as to why this will work for the Cardinals, what what do you think that looks like? What, How does this end up being a good offseason for the Cardinals in your mind? Going to get the front two guys. It doesn't matter. We're they need two more them, in your mind? In my mind, you do. Yeah, in my mind, you, you need a one and a two. You don't have a one or a two, right? I mean, Adam Wainwright's gone. Thank you. It was fun. Jack Flair, we all know what happened with his injury. Um, thank you when you were here. But, yeah, you need a one and a two for sure. I mean, you know, look, Lynn and Gibson 
the very best are four and five or five and six. That, that's that's what they are. They can provide innings. They can keep you in game. Uh, hopefully, they won't embarrass you. But you know, neither one neither one's a slam dunk. It's not long term deals. That's not going to burn you. But it's also not going to help you get back in the race. And I hope you're not being embarrassed as much as you were last summer. But it's not going to get you back in the race. So look, you you, you go out there and get. You go out there and get one of the free agent starters. You trade for another one, and now all of a sudden, in my opinion, you can quickly get right back in this thing and be relevant again. You won't be the favorites to win the division, but you can become relevant again. If they only get one, Jim, and you can make that guy whoever you want. They go to the trade market. They go to the free agent market. Whoever it ends up being, they, they get one more starting pitcher in here. Is that, in your mind, a disappointing and potentially even a failure of an offseason? You know, I think Cardinal fans are used to being in the postseason, right? So, you know, for me, I need to see moves to get you back into the postseason. So, I mean, I guess my answer is yes. I don't think one one starter at the top is going to get you there. And that's, again, it's my opinion. I'm not saying I'm right. So I We want, agree I with you for two. what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, I want to get, get two to be relevant. I mean, look, you need the team you need to be scared about the most is actually the Cincinnati Reds. They're a very scary team because every algorithm you'll look at says that their their guys are all ready for breakout seasons at one time. And I remember my 99 Reds, no one expected us to win. We won 96 games that year because all our young players all of a sudden blew up at the same time. But this Reds team has the entire roster is 24 to 26 years old practically, both in the rotation and position player-wise. If they go out and get a veteran starter, if they go get a veteran reliever, uh, their potential is off the charts. I mean, it, it, it's it's a ridiculously powerful team. And the Chicago Cubs, you know, they didn't spend $40 million on Craig Council to finish in second place. And they're in on Otani. They're in on, on Bellinger. They're in on Yamamoto. I mean, they're everywhere right now. So, you know, for St. St. Louis, Lynn and Gibson, okay, you got me innings at the back. Okay, you did that early in the offseason. I'm okay with that. They're one-year deals. They're throwaway deals for me. It's okay. Doesn't move the needle for me, but it's okay. But that that doesn't count towards getting me back to where I want to get to. So let's let's give them time. We've got to be patient. It's not, it's not a matter of when you do it, how early you do it. It's that you do it. So, Jim, the concerning part, I guess, is that John Mozeliak has made it pretty clear that they have a certain amount of money to spend, and that's their budget. And from what we understood, it was somewhere between 45 and $50 million. And with $23 million tied up in those two guys, from a general manager, a former general manager's perspective, it, can you set a budget like that and then have to go over it? Or when you set that budget, that's the budget. I mean, that's a Bill DeWitt question, not a me question. But, I mean, I think if you bring the right idea and proposal to Bill DeWitt, I think he has an open mind. But I think I think we have to remember, you know, you, you yeah, sometimes you, you got to trade for these pieces. You can't just play checkbook baseball. You know, you need to be pursuing Jesus Lazardo of Miami, right, or J.P. Sears of Oakland. You, you need to be out there in the trade market. That That's how you need to do it. You're, you're not going to be able to – fix this pitching staff in free agency you're going to have to do it with trade that that's how you're going to have to do it i mean right now when you look at this rotation you got a 35 year old miles michaelis a 36 year old kyle gibson a 36 year old lance lynn a 33 year old steven matz you, you, you know what that's primed for that's primed for failure i'm sorry I'm, and i'm not trying to be mean but that's that's where you're headed i've, I've done it before I, I know what this looks like at the end of the year 
is going to be ugly. So it's not just a matter of adding starting pitch. You need younger starting pitching, right? Tyler Glasnow is young enough. He, he proved that he's a one. Go trade for Tyler Glasnow, right? Go trade for Shane Bieber, too. You, you, have, a, you, have, you have the outfield depth to match up with Cleveland. You, you do. So, so get involved. You have the infield depth that Tampa's looking for because they're dealing with the Wander Franco situation where he, he's not going to play next year based on what I'm hearing. So they, they have infield situations they're trying to solve. So go do it. That's where your strength is. Your strength is in numbers of outfielders and infielders. Go trade them for pitching. Let's go. If not, if not, I'm telling you, 2024 is going to be just as much of a disaster as this year was. Jim, final question that I've got for you here. Uh, I, I think Tyler Glass now feels, based on the local reporting and kind of um, tr- trying to understand where they're at with what they're looking at, he feels like the most likely trade candidate for the Cardinals. What do you think a reasonable return would be for Glass now, who's on a one-year deal worth $25 million and understanding what his injury history is? You know, I, I think what you ask for is different than what's realistic, right? Like, can I get hence to start the deal? Will you do that with me? Because if you do hence and, and, and Edmund, does that work for you? You know, I mean, I think it's somewhere in that ballpark. Interesting. Uh, that... I... I don't know that the Cardinals uh, would be willing to do that, but at, at some point they got to be willing to take on that risk. Uh, Jim, we appreciate the time. I, it's been a weird couple of days here in St. Louis with the start of the offseason. We'll certainly be monitoring things. We'll be reading you over at The Athletic. We'll be reading or listening to you on MLB Network Radio. Always enjoy these chats at the beginning of the offseason. Thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Great to be on with you guys again. See you, you got Jim. That's Jim Bowden joining us as he does each and every year right around this time of the offseason here on 101 ESPN. Well, I think his uh, his rant there at that end is exactly what we all are feeling. And uh, unfortunately, I'm, I don't see the light like Jim Bowden does to where he says, like, hey, it's the beginning of the offseason. This is what happens. Well, but he was right. Like, I agree with everything he said in terms of, yeah, you need two more. And that's why I don't understand the second signing here. Like, if you wanted to sign one of Lynn or Gibson, totally get it. That's the back end of your rotation. But you can't afford two more. Even if you sign a guy and trade for a guy, that's over the budget. Maybe. and Probably. Unless they trade for two. Like, and what you if, think the Cardinals are going to give up multiple prospects dude, for two guys? I... And this is the no. I'm not. I'm not yelling at you, buddy. I'm just saying. I know. I'm just so frustrated because, like, I, I'm with you at the beginning of the offseason. I would have been like, "Oh, they're gonna do it," and now they've beaten me down to the place where I'm like, "Man, are they gonna get one more?" Hey, it's a fun place to be, my man. Remember what Mo's comment was? And listen, I never want to read too much into anything Mo says at the beginning of the offseason. It's all, and this is not just specific to Mo. This is general managers in general. It's all lies. It's all lies because they have to answer questions, and they ain't gonna tell you crap about what their plans are. But he said, hey, we're going to get two starters, regroup, and then decide what the rest of the path looks like that offseason. Well, they've acquired two starters. And what they've been talking about is the two and a half, right? Well, you got the two. No, I think you have one. You have a half in both of them. You got two, man. This is the entire reason why you sign these two dudes. The only value they provide, frankly, is that they're going to start a bunch of games and they're going to give you innings while they're out there. So the next thing you're getting is the half. Like, they're doing half a star. They're doing the That's same thing. They're doing They're doing the same thing that they did last year. And, and it's just different scenarios. Last year it was well payroll's going up, but oh hey, Adam Wainwright, you know, he's getting paid a little bit more than what you guys thought. There's the payroll going up. We're getting three starters or two and a half starters. Well, we got two. Here comes the half. 
Man, you can't take him by his word. So I'm going to say something I never thought I was going to say next. Oh, dump button, Bradford. Might be time to start talking about trading one of Goldie or Arnato. I'll explain why coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Everything runs its course. Mr. DeWitt, if you're done, you've won a lot. You've had some superstars here. All of it, great. However, if you're done winning and you're done with the just the all of it, it's time to sell this team. You bought it for $150 million. It's now worth $255 billion. Make your money, and let's go get somebody else that has, has the desire to win. It's more than Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. So, and we all know what I think of what's in the dugout. So, if you're done, no problem. Thank you so much for everything. That was Lisa who's making her thoughts known here on BK and Ferrario. That's Alex. He is Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up here in about 20 minutes, we'll give it over to the fast lane at the top of the hour as John Mosaloc will uh, speak to the media. Just heads up to all of you guys. Most of the media is out of town. They announced this press conference literally an hour ago. We'll speak to Derek Gould. So Katie Wu's out of town. Uh, Denton. John Denton is out of town. Jeff Jones is out of town. Um, who else am Lynn I missing? Out Lynn Worthy is out of town. There's like a few assembled media members that are going to be capable uh, of being in person at this press conference later on today. So it's incredibly frustrating that this is the way that they did it. But uh, neither here nor there at two o'clock, John Mosaloc will be answering questions from basically Derek Gould. No off days in the offseason, BK. Yeah, clearly. Uh, all right. So let's react to this a little bit. I mentioned before break and we'll do this quickly that I think it's time to at least talk about the possibility that the Cardinals need to trade one of Goldie or Arnato. I, I don't think they should. I've said for a calendar year, basically, whenever anybody would ask us, like, hey, is this the move that they should make? And I have pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. No, that is absolutely not the move that they should make. The way they're treating this right now, and I will give this caveat, if they add two starters still the rest of this offseason that slot in ahead of Miles Michaelis, everything I'm about to say is nonsense, and they shouldn't do what I'm about to say. However... If they're not going to do that, if they're just going to add one more starter, they're essentially treating this as a retool uh, year. They are doing with their rotation what the Blues are doing this year with their forward group, where they said, eh, we'll take a flyer on Verona. We'll take a flyer on Kapanen. We're going to bring back Sonny, who's like a one-year placeholder potentially for us, but he's a guy that can eat some innings for us in the metaphorical sense for the St. Louis Blues. He's going to go out there. He's going to play the way we want him to, and he's going to buy time for us to get the guys that we want long-term to be a part of our next real championship core, right? That's essentially what the Cardinals are doing with Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. These are transition pieces. These are not guys you build around. These are guys that you throw out there because you need innings and you don't want to hand them to Zach Thompson. You don't want to hand them to Matthew Libertor while they continue to develop TK, uh, Roby, uh, Tink Kent. You don't want to give those guys the opportunities at the big leagues to get shell shocked while they're not prepared for it. So instead, you give it to these older veterans. Man, I'm a Royals fan. I've watched this plan for 20 freaking years. <laughs> I've seen dudes like Kyle Gibson at the back end of his career and Lance Lynn at the back end of his career come to Kansas City to just go out there and get shellacked. I know what this looks like. If that's the plan, you should trade one of those guys. 
you should start the transition in an even more meaningful way by adding more young starting pitching that can pitch in AAA this year so that way they can be ready by 2025. This should not be the plan. It's insane that I am even having this discussion today, but given their actions, not their words, it sure seems like that might be the plan. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if this is your plan, then somebody else should be fired. Because that's embarrassing that this is the plan for your organization when you've got two potential Hall of Famers on your team, when you've got an offense that is stacked from top to bottom, when you've got two bright young prospects in Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman, you've got all of the depth you can ask for. You just spent $75 million on a catcher who's an incredible bat, and you're going to just whiff at that and say, well, we'll just kick the can down the road a couple of years. Somebody else should be fired because that's that's terrible. How, how do you provide any insight or optimism for the future of your organization when when you expected to be in a championship window, when you acquired Goldschmidt and then Arenado, you expected a championship window and you didn't do anything to increase that championship window. And then when it exited, you said, well, didn't get it. So we'll move on from this. That's embarrassing when other teams that get into that championship window say now's our time to shine and you go for it. I just there's no sugarcoating this. It's terrible. It's it's terrible from top to bottom. And again, good on you if you make us all look like fools Absolutely. like you did with Nolan Arenado and said oh, we're comfortable with Matt Carpenter at third base and you acquired Nolan Arenado. But understand why I'm very skeptical of you going out there and signing Yamamoto and trading for Tyler Glass now when you've told us that you've got $50 million to spend and you just dropped half of that on two guys that are fives and sixes. That's the thing that I don't understand is if you told me before the offseason, hey, they've got $23 million to, uh, to spend on one slot in their rotation. How, do you, how would you rather spend it, on Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn or on Sonny Gray? Because that seems to be roughly the equivalent of what Sonny Gray's expected to get this offseason. I understand they're not perfect one-for-ones because those guys that are on the Cardinals now are on one-year deals with options. Sonny Gray was going to be signed for a three-year deal, most likely. Yeah, but at the end of his three-year deal was the age of the two guys you just signed on one-year deals. Correct. But they're going to look at it as, well, but over the course of the three years, we're actually spending $67, 68000000 million yeah, the hell out of here. on Sonny Gray, whereas on these other guys, it's just the 10 to $12 million, whatever. For 2024, would I rather spend $23 million on Sonny Gray or Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson? It is a no contest. A no contest. It's Sonny Gray by a mile. And if that means that I can then only add one other starter, Alex, and I'm just getting the two this offseason, I would rather do that than add the three of what they're about to end up with. Because the two starters with Sonny Gray plus whoever else the other second edition is, those are two guys that slot in in front of Miles Michaelis. The two guys that they're now going to get are slotted in well behind Miles Michaelis. And you could potentially have another guy that maybe, maybe, is going to be slotting in ahead of it. it. It is genuinely shocking to me that this is the route that they decided to go. Yesterday, I, I was the one that was like the calm voice of reason saying, hey, I understand Lance Lynn had a rough year. It's fine. It's innings. It's all good, dude. We're going to be fine. We're going to go out there. We're going to make two more additions. I slot it in front of Miles Michael. It's going to be fine. What's wild about it is the guy that they acquired today was actually the one that was fine last year, not Lance Lynn. I mean, he, he wasn't great. No, he wasn't, but he's be better fair. than Lance but, Lynn. Yeah, he was, he was slightly better than Lance Lynn. And if they had just signed one of them, cool. I am all good. So to those of you texting, saying, hey, you're overreacting, where were you guys the last three months when I was underreacting, apparently? They were yelling at me for overreacting. Coming up next, the BK and Ferrari Rewind here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Nine six four six is the air covered service text line to get involved in the show. You'll certainly be using that text line, I would assume, coming up at the top of the hour as John Mosaloc is going to be speaking to the media out at Bush Stadium. We will carry that press conference live right here on 101 ESPN as the fast lane begins at 2 o'clock. So stay tuned for that. It's coming up in less than 10 minutes right here on 101 ESPN. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. When you go over there, you'll see our conversation that we had earlier today with Ken Hitchcock. It was awesome. That guy is amazing to talk with and we talked to Jim Bowden who said if they don't add two significant arms that slot in ahead of Miles Michaelis in the rotation it is a failure of an offseason for the Cardinals. Alex I'll just give my elevator pitch on where I'm at right now I'm mad I'm frustrated I'm disappointed because the Cardinals have now spent nearly 23 million dollars on two pitchers that at best slot into their fourth and fifth slots into the rotation. I don't view that personally as a great use of your resources. If it was just one Fine. Getting both of them feels like overkill to me and an overcorrection to the lack of innings that they were able to receive from them last year. That being said, if they then go out and make some big time moves, whether it's one via free agency, one via trade or two trades, whatever, if they get two more guys that are at the front end of their rotation, this can still be a more than acceptable offseason. If they do not, I agree with Jim Bowden. It's a failure, and they have learned the wrong lessons from 2023 where they should have learned that they needed more swing and miss. They needed more upside from their rotation. What they appear to have learned is that they lacked innings and they needed certainty, which is what they're expecting out of Michaelis, Lynn, and Gibson. Well, you got three guys available on the free agent market that are swing and miss guys. You have two guys available via trade that are swing and miss guys that you can go after. They're all there for you. The problem is they're all going to cost you more than you said you had the budget for. The best case scenario for me with this Cardinals team is Zach Thompson is your swing man. We talked about how they needed a swing man and then three guys for the rotation or two guys for the rotation and a swing man. Zach Thompson being your sixth starter means this was a great offseason. But you got to get guys better than Miles Michaelis. A rotation should be one, two, and Miles Michaelis as that three-headed monster for this Cardinals team. Not Miles Michaelis, Stephen Matz, and Lance Lynn because that's what it's set up as right now. And honestly, what I don't want to hear today from John Mozeliak is him talking about how much upside they saw in their youth with the pitching because none of that matters. None of that is going to make you a World Series contender this year. Maybe it steps towards, it brings you depth, but this season, you need more than Libertor and Zach Thompson to make this feel like they can compete in the NL Central. It's just a shocking, a shocking way to start the offseason. Um, I, I fell for everything that they were selling, hook, line, and sinker. I thought that they were going to go out there and do something different this time around. And they still may. Like, there's still a lot of time during the offseason to, to make this right. But what I want to hear from the press conference today is, hey, this is the beginning. We wanted to get two guys that we felt good about. We needed the innings, and now we're going to go search for that upside that we know we're lacking in our rotation right now. And if that's what they decide to say, and if that's what they decide to act upon, cool. We'll come in tomorrow. Cooler heads will prevail, 
and we'll look back on this as a funny story. We'll all laugh together. Where we were I like, can't man, wait. remember how much we overreacted to <laughs> those two signings? That you was were, crazy. You were so negative, BK. So tomorrow, hopefully that's what we're going to be saying. The Fastlane has you guys covered from 2 to 6. Brad Thompson in studio with Anthony Stolter today. They will be listening to the John Mosellock press conference coming up here in just a couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.